Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 177, Whether or Not, a Decision-Making Process, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, we are back from Sun and Fun, and this is going to be another regular scheduled episode and uh, really important information we want to get across to you. We're joined uh, with Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, and Rick Felty. Hey, guys, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thank you. You know, Hey, can I, I'll, I'll, as the one person who wasn't <laughs> down there, I'll say, great job, you guys. Oh, man. Uh, down at Sun and Fun. That was awesome. Well, hats off to you. I mean, it's a, I think people don't realize you put out in nine days, you put out eight episodes. <laughs> it was, it was fun. I mean, I had a great time and I got to hear you guys doing your thing. So it was fun to live vicariously. Were you living Sun and Fun by proxy there? <laughs> yes, for sure. I appreciate you saying that, but also, you know, the A team. I think we we really showed showed up, which was fun, and uh, we'll have to keep doing more. Oh, of that. Yeah, and the fact that we all volunteered there, I think, was was wonderful. Uh, big kudos from the folks at Sun and Fun for all the help that we did. Uh, you know, with everybody that showed up there, uh, and it really interesting. Victoria just she just banged it out of the park i mean it was incredible too bad she can't make it tonight but uh just some great interviews and also uh, just a lot of fun and uh, doing the sm- social media of course was really cool and by the way don't forget about hashtag stuck mike selfie uh if you have a picture of yourself next to a cool airplane or something definitely definitely do that we uh, we love to see those and just an- another thing too by the way is i know a lot of folks are like gosh i'm just trying to catch up well uh, so are we. <laughs> We're just trying to catch up from from Sun and Fun. That's that's for sure. So, uh, but Rick, really, I mean, that was that was pretty phenomenal. Just getting those out. I know I lost a little bit of sleep a couple nights. Little inside baseball yeah. there. We were like, oh no, we messed something up, and we had to fix it. And uh, so now now yeah. we understand the challenges. Uh, we also want to do some more shows, and we realize that you know some of the live stuff. A lot of folks uh, asked us, can we do some live? Uh, live is is okay. Uh, I love the live video, and I love live video during the actual air show. We did a little bit of that on YouTube Live, whether we use that. Excuse me, it wasn't. It was Facebook Live. And whether we use that or something else, I'm not sure. But we got a lot of positive feedback because you actually got to see the show and portions of the show. But I think uh, Sun and Fun did it right this year. They just had video of the actual air show, and that, that was really, really cool. So we'll, we'll think about that. We're gonna, we'll figure out the technology behind it. Uh, also, we made a couple announcements, like liveatc.net slash LAL. Uh, we're going to be under there. It'll be Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, we'll be streaming. We haven't put that up yet, and it is coming soon. The other announcement we made was about membership. We're putting that back up on the site, and that's going to include, just like we had before, all those courses that we had done in the past and, uh, and more. So we're going to come out with some more courses. Uh, it's basically some of the things we discuss here, but a lot of, you know, I know Russ and I were talking about this, how we wish we had some pictures in front of us. So some of the discussions we have here, we're going to turn into some videos and for the members, they'll be able to get to see those videos. Uh, and, it's a, and those are so much fun to put together. So I'm really excited about that. And also thanks for watching the videos on YouTube. We're still getting questions about uh, different flights that were done even five, six years ago. So hats off to those people for, for uh, writing into us. Again, stuck Mike Avcast at gmail.com. You can send your comments and also questions there. Let's do the pre-flight. Well, anyway, before we get started, a couple announcements. I know that uh, I've talked about this before. We did a lot at Sun and Fun talking about uh, you know learning to fly and of course living to fly and loving to fly and uh, and. S- people coming into this as a career and you know i started this scholarships guide uh, aerospacescholarships.com to help people move forward in their career but also i i wanted to make it for everybody and it's for it's not there's scholarships for everyone even those that aren't looking for a degree or getting into aviation as a profession 
Many of them will help you finish your instrument rating, obtain your seaplane rating, receive aerobatic training. And uh, so we've, we've changed a few things. It used to be that it was uh, the online guide was $10 a month. And we decided to bring that price down dramatically. It's $10 a year for the online scholarships guide. Uh, we have been getting a lot of help from other people, and I've, I've been tr- trying to fund this myself uh, because I think it's a very important project. And the thing that really I love is when someone says to me, hey, listen, because of your scholarships guide, I was able to finish my instrument rating. Or because of your scholarship guide, I was able to actually go do some aerobatic training or get my seaplane rating. So all those are out there. Uh, again, scholarships aren't need-based. You know, they're they're actually if you're, you're passionate about aviation and you write about it, uh, you can get a scholarship. A lot of them are just uh, the requirements are be a member of the organization, like the Seaplane Pilots Association. One thing that we did do. Um, you know, we're still trying to figure this thing out. Uh, um, I put it out on the iBookstore, and also I put it out on Amazon as a Kindle book. I didn't realize that the uh, Kindle version, when you purchase it, you just get the current version, and they don't update it when I update it throughout the year. Uh, so what we're going to do is this. We're actually, if you send us your electronic receipt, We'll give you access to the online scholarships guide, which we are updating weekly sometimes. And the way we do that, we do it from the date of purchase. So you just send that to us in an email, and then we'll give you a year's access to that online scholarships guide to, to make that right. Uh, and we will make that, you know, in the 2019 guide when it comes out, make people understand, hey, listen, this is just, you know, the current version. If you want access, then going forward, you have to sign up for it online. Uh, also in the iBookstore, they actually will update it for the current version. So like 2018 is updated as we put them out there. Uh, so that's a little bit easier to use. The iBooks, I don't know if anybody here has read the iBooks and stuff like that. I think it's cool when uh, if you've seen a new version of a book, like they've updated it, you just press update and it updates the book. It's it's really, really neat. Uh, so love I love that. But I also, the, the best way to get it is on uh, aerospacescholarships.com or go to Stuck Mike Avcast and click on Aerospace Scholarships and you can actually download it. It's a PDF version that's out there and you can learn, learn a little bit about it before you actually purchase it by going out there. Now entering cruise flight. Let's get started on uh, on today's episode and our main uh, topic discussion in the cruise flight. Well, you know, I talked about in the beginning, uh, the title is Whether or Not a Decision-Making Process. And, you know, Russ flew into Sun and Fun and out of Sun and Fun. And, um, you know, we're not going to talk a lot about the Sun and Fun uh, flying portion of it, you know, landing and taxing. But there was weather both on the beginning of the show and the end of the show when Russ wanted to leave. So I, I think it was neat that we had this discussion about the weather and we were talking about it uh, at the airfield. And I think it's important to go over, you know, whether or not we should go, making a go, no-go decision uh, based on the weather. And, of course, on other factors, too, your equipment and all and the type aircraft you have, et cetera. And there was a couple scenarios of people flying in, both IFR and VFR, and in different types of aircraft. Some people flew in an aircraft that could go up to 35,000 feet, and some people were flying at 3,500 feet or even less. So, Russ, we'll, we'll talk a little bit at first about your flight in. I remember, uh, and I, I can't remember everything about the weather, so you're going to have to help me out here. So, basically, you tell us a little bit about where you flew from and to and the different decisions you had to make about going through the weather. Sure. Well, I come from Oklahoma City, as as most listeners probably know by now. <laughs> you know, I keep talking about how wonderful the weather is out here in Oklahoma, <laughs> except for when there's tornadoes. But um, yeah, so I, I come from Oklahoma City, and I you know that's a long flight to Lakeland, Florida. So you know, I usually plan a midway stop, and that midway stop is usually Meridian, Mississippi, um, to get their free hot dogs and ice cream and. Uh, sweet tea and whatever else they have their popcorn i guess too it's a good stop it's a nice nice place to stop but so on the way out there you know and i i came on monday so the show starts on tuesday and i headed out on monday because i wanted to be there for the whole thing um first half of the flight beautiful not a cloud in the sky vfr you know i i, I got flight following but i just stayed vfr because uh, there's no reason not to a straight line there um and then of course as soon as i take off from meridian it's it's uh, marginal VFR down to IFR in some areas. So I did activate an IFR flight plan uh, once I was in the air uh, from Meridian, Mississippi. Well, I was on top of the clouds, and 
you know, as I'm working my way towards Florida, you know, the, the, uh, the overcast below me was, I mean, it was pretty, pretty low. I was at, uh, you know, 7,000 for, uh, for most of it. And it, the overcast was a, at least a few thousand feet below me. So no, no big deal. Um, but as I got closer, I don't know if you remember, um, my story from, uh, last year, how I had a whole line of storms across Florida and I had to just stop short and, uh, wait a day. <laughs> well, well, there was another line of storms, uh, this time, uh, it didn't look quite as bad, but, uh, so I'm cruising along there 7,000, couldn't see the ground, but I had my onboard, uh, ADSB weather. Fantastic. Of course. I don't know how we ever flew anywhere without it. To be honest <laughs> with you, it's, it's wonderful. And, uh, and I'm seeing this, this line of storms is kind of gr- going across the northern part there, the Florida Peninsula, kind of the Cross City, uh, Gainesville area. I guess, you know, uh, it, it's probably perpetually rainy in that area. I don't know. Tom, is there a lo- usually a lot of storms up in that area? There can be. It's, yeah. Yeah, and this time of year, especially with, with frontal systems, you get them. Right. It pops through there all the time. We just right. got one so, here yesterday. Yeah, so I wasn't real surprised, but, uh, but it was cutting off, you know, the, the route to, to Lakeland. Didn't look as bad as last year, fortunately. Uh, but what I was facing a problem with is that overcast that was below me, and I was well well above a seven thousand was was climbing up to meet me as the day went on, which which happens, of course. And so at first I went up to nine thousand. I was in a Cessna one eighty two, so you know we had good performance to get up there. I went up to nine thousand, and I could tell that the the clouds below me were kind of starting to break up a little bit. But ahead of me, I saw this line of of you know, storm clouds, building cumulus, uh, you know, some towering cumulus and such. And this is where the decision came in, came into effect. You know, do I try to climb above it? Um, do I try to go below it? Um, last year, there have been really strong storms, and some of them this year looked like they were developing pretty well. And so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to go over it, stay visual, or see if I could go under it. Unfortunately, in that part of you know, kind of around the uh, the bend there, where the Panhandle kind of you know curves around to the south. There's not a lot of uh, airports, and there's not a lot of airports with weather reporting. So, getting a good idea of the cloud bases was really tough, and you know, it would really stink to descend all the way through them and then, you know, not be able to get out anyway. But fortunately, I was able to go up to eleven thousand, and uh, that kept me just skimming the tops of some of these. Uh, some of the lower uh, cumulus clouds, but uh, I could I could stay visual and could avoid the uh, the larger ones. Unfortunately, as I got closer, and of course this is uh, Murphy's law, of course. Um, as I got closer, I'm looking, I'm watching the uh, ADSB weather and kind of getting updated on. There's a gigantic hole like you know, easily go through between a couple of cells, and then all the weather disappears off my. Uh, off my tablet. So that's a good thing, right? And the weather's gone. Well, I'm right? like, man, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fantastic. <laughs> All the weather's gone. Uh, but well, it was, it was interesting because the other airplanes still showed up. I was still getting uh, METARs and TAFs. I, it, I checked for long enough that could tell I was still getting all that. I just wasn't getting the next rad radar. Um, and, you know, it updates, you know, auto updates every, uh, like, what, five minutes or something. And so, uh, you know, the first five minute thing went by and it updated and it was still not showing any next rad. So, uh, well, I quick took a little screen capture <laughs> just so I'd have at least something to, to have an idea of as I got closer. But, uh, yeah, it was out for 20 minutes for me. Uh, and then it came back, you know, of course it came back after I was through the, uh, through the, the line of, of storms there. So, <laughs> so I, I thought that was very, um, maybe, uh, the airplane was trying to tell me not, not to <laughs> fly with my head down. I don't know. <laughs> so how did you get through it? Did you visually? Or? I was able to stay purely visual, and it wasn't anywhere near as bad as uh, as last year. Uh, yeah, I was I was up in the you know just the very top of the the uh, like the I guess the lower cumulus clouds. You know, skirting along the top, and I could see the the building ones around me. So uh, it was it was actually not bad at all. But it wasn't bad because I could go up to eleven thousand. Um, you know, if I had been in another airplane that maybe couldn't comfortably climb that high, it would have been really a different scenario, uh, because I would have been in the clouds at that point and not really able to remain clear visually with the, uh, 
the the towering cumulus or uh, possibly cumulonimbus. What's fascinating about this journey is the fact that you had all this technology that we you were using, and one of the things we always need to be ready for is that technology to fail, whether it's if we're using radar or NEXRAD, like you you're saying there. So when you're when you were going through the weather, and I I know I like to do this, and I, I I'm glad you said this. You took a screenshot. I actually, when I'm flying and I'm going through weather, I will do that. I'll make sure I do a screenshot every so often of my weather. I mean, it's a lot of pictures that I have to get rid of afterwards, but uh, I think it's worth it. Uh, so I don't know if that's maybe a technique you might start using in the future uh, as far as when you're trying to get through some weather. But just remember, um, you know, all that weather in general is is like old, meaning five minutes old, etc. But now you're trying to come up with a strategy, and, and now you're like, uh-oh, how do I get through this weather? You did it by visually looking at the weather and saying, okay, I'm, I'm away from these storms. But how many times have we had technology, and just not just technology in the airplane, but also on the ground, like you said, there weren't too many weather reporting stations where you were. Um, so we have to kind of think about these things. But part of being a pilot and the challenge of being a pilot is the fact that you have to make a, a series of decisions. And those decisions can be numerous. And also, we have many things that change on the way, just like with your challenges of no weather reporting and also now your next rat is gone. But, uh, but once you got through that weather, everything was, I'm assuming, fairly good. Yeah, everything was fine. Now I just had to come down from 11,000 to... Yeah, what three thousand or, or so to really be on the uh, the sun and fun arrival, and and since I was on an IFR flight plan, uh, and I, anybody who's flown into either sun and fun or Oshkosh knows that they won't really work you on an IFR flight plan into those airports during the events unless you have a reservation, which I didn't have. So, so Tampa approach was, you know, trying to trying to prompt me to cancel IFR, and I was just letting them know. I will be happy to cancel IFR as soon as I realistically can. So, you know, but you're just, it's just going to take another 10 miles or so. And, uh, but after that, yeah, it went fine. And so, so there were no problems with the rest of the flight. So when you filed in the air um, and you, you have your tablet and all to do this, and uh, for those of us that, that don't use the, the, I think you use ForeFlight or whatever, it's, um, one of the things you have to do is determine whether you're going to need an alternate. Is that something that the software kind of prompts you that, hey, listen, you need an alternate, or, or are you viewing that and saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to plug it in an alternate? I don't know if it will prompt you that you need an alternate. That would be kind of a, a neat feature and I think reasonably easy to program. But um, maybe it doesn't. I haven't discovered it yet. But uh, no, I, I just fortunately that day the the weather was was fine at, at my destination so i did not need an alternate using the you know the normal one two three type rule right and then also um when you're going through a line of weather through uh, the decision making process and this is something i do i was wondering russ or or tom what, what you think but i always like to have a an out like a if it's a really strong line my 180 degree out or maybe it's a a 90 degree out to, and an airport in mind, uh, you know, obviously while we're flying, we always have an airport in mind where we might go. Uh, but do, were you kind of thinking along those lines uh, when you were actually passing through this front? So, yeah, I had a bunch of, uh, alt- well, not alternates, but I guess divert locations, you'd say, ready to go. And, uh, I mean, you know, Tallahassee was, was a you know, big airport if I needed, you know, that that much. But, you know, there are a bunch of other airports around that area that, that I could have easily done a 180, probably flown an instrument approach into... Uh, at least to get below the overcast and then have no problem. But uh, having those options really uh, takes a lot of the pressure off you in my in my mind. Uh, you don't I mean you don't have to make it through. You could you know you can easily turn around if it gets if it gets past your your comfort level and and land somewhere and uh, let the weather develop or you know clear out or get a hotel for the night. Who knows? So, Tom, I'd like you to kind of interject here as far as what you do as far as the decision-making process going through, especially a line of storms. Uh, and, and in general, uh, do you also, say, teach your students uh, that, hey, this is what you should do is have, have all these diversion airports in mind or, uh, you know, where, where are you going to land? I know we do that VFR, but also IFR. It's, it's a, a, little bit, a little bit different process, right, because we want to make sure we can let down and land. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just finding a place or flying, finding a route that has an out, if you will, um, 
is important in the flight planning process. You know, um, especially I mean, the summer months here in Florida. We, you know, I, I know that Russ is real familiar with Oklahoma's uh, weather patterns, as I am with them here in Florida, of how the sea breezes converge and create lift and create these thunderstorms that happen in the afternoon, and and they can be violent. You know, so and and you need to know how to um, circumvent those and, and stay out of them. We just we steer clear of them, and sometimes the 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 forces that are making you steer clear of these thunderstorms put you in areas that may be sparse as far as airports are concerned. You know, so it's it's part of that planning process to go through and do that. You know, even that route that uh, Russ took down the coast, like you said, there's there's a there's a piece up there that there's a, not a lot of stations that are reporting for a pretty wide area up there. You know, um, Florida has tons of airports, but here now you got this area up in the corner up there, up, up along the Big Bend area where there's not a lot going on. So, you know, thinking about how to how to get through that and, um, you know, make a make good safe decisions along those ways is, is definitely important. So when you're on the ground, you're making a go, no-go decision, but it seems to me, Russ, that we're making a go, no-go decision all throughout the flight. You know, it's... Uh, in other words, we may not make it there, and maybe in my mind, I think it's good to to be surprised when you make it to your destination. You know, you want to make it there, but if you have to, you divert. And uh, it, I'm I'm assuming you kind of were going through that process through the whole time. Well, of course, and uh, given my you know, given my experience last year where I had to stop short, stay overnight in a hotel, uh, you know, to be honest. That's not something I, I I don't know that I've ever had to stop short before uh, on on a flight like this. But now having done it last year, yeah, this year, hey, if I got to do it, no big deal. I'll just come in a day late. So uh, you know, having that that experience of of knowing that you know <laughs> the world is not going to collapse <laughs> you know, if I don't make my destination, uh, everything's going to be fine. Really, really helped me out, and, and I was I was pretty relaxed the whole time, just because I had those options. And Tom, have you had that experience of having to divert, not making it there uh, on your flight? Uh, maybe it's IFR or IFR-VFR combination? Yeah, um, I, I recently had a flight out of uh, South Florida. I was in North Fort Lauderdale, and there was a line, a front that was pushing through. Um, I was trying to get back to St. Petersburg and waited down there most of the day for this to break and, and thought it had started breaking apart and, and decided to depart. You know, I, I, I saw a fairly clear path that I thought was going to stay clear, and it didn't. You know, I, I got halfway home and um, it had all closed back in again, and it was, um, yeah, very violent. If you're familiar with the colors on a radar, everything was, there was this line of reds and oranges and pinks that I just didn't even want to mess with. <laughs> and was was talking to a controller and actually made it about halfway home, and I was over a little airport that was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I was, uh, it's Arcadia. If you've ever been to Arcadia, there's not much in Arcadia, but um, I was 8,000 feet above it, and I could see it, and, uh, you know, the controller's asking me, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I got this airport down below me. I think I'll go there, you know, and, and stayed with him long enough, canceled, put it on the ground, got out of this thing, walked into the FBO, and, and that's when the front passed over the top of me, and, and I could actually share some video of that, because I did. I took took some video of the rain pouring down you know, and thinking, okay, I made absolutely the right decision here. Um, I stayed on the ground, I don't know, three hours waiting for this to pass through. And then once it passed, it was clear skies all the way back home again. You know, so definitely a right decision there. So I, I think people that are listening, we, we're so mission-driven as pilots. Like, we want to get there. We want to make our friends, our family, you know, comfortable. But we also want to make them, we want them, excuse me, to get to their destinations. And and there's times when we just can't do that. I know, you know, I've, gosh, diversions. People ask me how many times, you know, do we need to divert? You know, or have we diverted? It's, gosh, I divert, like, at least once uh, every year I've done a diversion. And uh, it's just the way it is. If you fly a bunch, you're you're not going to make it to your destination. And I don't care how much you plan. It's weather. It changes. And, and not only that, when you get to your airport, somebody could be disabled on the runway. You're not going to make it anyway. And that's that's not a weather decision, but that's a decision you have to make as far as diversions. But, you know, we all we all definitely want to make it home. And uh, and that's that whole get home itis. So realize that this is the, the plan, you know, and you, you know, hope for the best and plan for the worst. And I think that's that's very important in, in the decisions we are making. So, Russ, you, you actually made it in, which was really cool. And and we had a great show, and you did a great job on the interviews and all that. Um, I was wondering, and, and this is kind of something 
you know, you think about when you have an airplane that is your only transportation home, like throughout the week, I, I was meaning to ask you this, throughout that whole week, did you think about that weather? Was it in the back of your mind? I mean, what, what's going on inside of you internally throughout the week? Or do, does the tension rise as you get closer to your departure? Well, there was, for the return trip home, that was a whole different set of, uh, of considerations. And there was, I think, in, so I was planning to leave on Sunday uh, from Sun of Fun, you know, get back to work on Monday. And uh, there would have been a, a storm system that had been developing, and uh, it was started in about Oklahoma and Texas on Friday and was moving its way eastward. Well, it stretched from, you know, roughly Canada to Mexico, so you know, there, there wasn't a good way around it. And, and looking at this uh, storm system, you know, this, uh, this line coming east across the whole, you know, southern you know, and eastern U.S., it quickly became obvious that I was either going to have to leave, like, Thursday, you know, instead of, um, you know, like, leave, like, three days earlier or just wait a day later because... If I, I could have left on Sunday, well, no, that would have been, no, Sunday was a rain out, wasn't it? <laughs> I could have left one day early on Saturday, but I would have not gotten to my destination anyway. I would have had to stop somewhere and stay, you know, overnight or at least for several hours, depending on how fast the storm was, were moving. Uh, well, you know, I, I had this uh, great invitation at Casa Valeri. Um, to, you know, st to stay with you and, and your wife, which was great. So, you know, why would I want to stay at some hotel in, uh, in, you know, Alabama or, or Georgia or somewhere when I could just stay an extra day at Sun and Fun, right? And, and so that's what I did. And it turns out Sunday was just, you know, cloudy and rainy the whole day in Florida anyway. So I stayed the day and, uh, and left Monday. Uh, Monday, uh, there were no storms to deal with, but there was a whole a whole other thing which I'll get into here in a minute. But I think the the key here on the way back was that yes, I wanted to get back on Sunday. You know, I I didn't want to have to take another day off from work, uh, you know, and get back Monday. But realistically, there was just no way to do it. It was a real solid line of storms, and uh, even if I left early, I might not make it back then anyway. So once I made the decision. That you know, I don't care what the weather looks like on Sunday. I'm just, I'm gonna head back on Monday. Once I made that decision, all that the pressure and such that you were talking about, that all just went away because I, I was at Sun and Fun. I was in Florida. I was with, you know, with Carl. You know? <laughs> watching airplanes. <Hey. laughs> yeah, watching airplanes. This is not bad, right? So, uh, you know, so I just, I worked that out with my boss, and we got it all handled. But. Uh, yeah, there was no pressure then at that point. So just that one day delay made a huge difference in in my attitude and enjoyment. I wasn't worrying about anything, and and it, it it was great. So if you have that kind of situation where you can just wait a day and go a day later, man, sometimes your weather concerns just evaporate. Yeah, and I I like what you said too. You brought the point of your boss. I mean, a lot of us feel pressure from work that we have to get back to work, etc. Um, and one of the things that you have to also measure is the the plane. So you're in a partnership, etc. Uh, so it's you know really important you know to say, hey, listen, guys, I can't make it, or Maybe you might have to take alternative means, possibly even an airline. Of course, you don't want to do that, but uh, and then you'd have to retrieve the airplane. But every so often that happens, and uh, and that's pretty. That's a really tough decision uh, as far as actually getting out and leaving at that point. And there's other things too. Is that <clears throat> if you looked at when you were leaving, I was wondering if you felt this because I kind of felt it too. Is people were like just getting out in droves um and there was it seemed like some people were like well you know maybe i'll go too and you don't know where those people are going if you were going east uh away from this front that was coming from the west uh yeah then you're you were good to go and keep going in that direction but if you were going to go west there's no way you would have been able to get through that line so i think sometimes we get pressured a little bit and we think hey other people are leaving but we don't know where 
you know, where you're, you know, going to or where they're going to. It's it, just think about yourself. Don't think about the other people. That's for sure. Uh, you had some other decision making processes going on in your head, and I remember uh, right before you left, you pulled out, you know, your your four flight, and you were going over uh, some planning. So tell us a little bit about that process, uh, and and as far as getting back to Oklahoma, because it, it was a bit of a trip. Yeah, it was a bit of a trip. Uh, the, the one thing is the, the, the weather was clear the whole way back. I, I don't know if I saw a cloud for whatever it is, a thousand miles uh, on the way back. So that was good, right? <laughs> but but I almost could have gotten back faster driving, almost, um, because the, the, the headwind the entire way, I mean... It, it, it was amazing. I mean, and the the wind gradient, I'll, I'll get to in just a minute. I mean, you, you, we, we take off, uh, me and, and there were a couple other uh, friends of mine that had come in different airplanes. And, and you know, we take off from Lakeland and, you know, we, we're all, you know, we switched to a common frequency. And you can hear everybody going west, you know, well, I guess northwest <laughs> from Lakeland is asking everybody else about what is the wind at whatever altitude you're at, you know, because it was amazing. The, um, at, at 2,500 feet, the wind was about 25 knots of, uh, you know, straight from the Northwest, you know, right where of course we all wanted to go. And at 4,500 feet, it was 50 knots. Now that's a lot of wind at those altitudes. Right. And that's a really steep gradient too. And then, oh, you could go up higher. You could go up to uh, 6,500 or so when you had more than 50 knots of headwind. And reportedly, it was very smooth up there um, because it certainly was not smooth at the lower altitudes. With that, you can imagine that kind of a wind gradient, you know, 25 to 50 knots and about 2,000 feet. Um, so you had a choice, right? You could, uh, you could stay low and get bumped around for the whole trip, or you could go high and uh, not get bumped around, but be a whole lot slower, you know? So it was, it was what slow versus more slow or something. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty bad, but I, I chose the getting bumped around and going a little bit faster. Um, so it was exhausting flight, but one of the effects of that is that I couldn't make my fuel stop, you know, my fuel stop of Meridian, Mississippi, you know, halfway, I couldn't make it. And yeah, you know, I knew before I took off that I probably was not going to make it. But then once I got into this, you know, 25, 30, 35 knot headwind, I, I, I knew for sure I wasn't going to make it. So, well, fortunately, you know, we have all this technology, right? I was able to find another another fuel stop with, uh, you know, the, the cheapest gas nearby that was a lot closer to me. I stopped there, probably still had two hours of fuel left, but I wanted to, to get some gas. I get there, I pull up, there's a plane uh, parked in front of the uh, the fuel pump. With, with no pilot in sight. And, of course, I'm th- at first I'm thinking, well, you know, he just went in to go to the restroom. No, he was inside trying to work with the uh, the airport manager or something because the pump wasn't working. Oh, no. <laughs> and, it, and it still wasn't working. And he'd been there a little while. And, well, fortunately, I hadn't waited till I was almost out of gas to stop, right? So I had a couple hours of fuel left. I just went over to the next airport. Then got gas there and then had to make another fuel stop before I got home. So I had... Um, Actually, I had a total of four stops, one with the, you know, broken pump. But um, so it made for a very, very long flight and uh, you know, low, bumpy. Uh, you know, it was it was nine hours of flying to get back, about seven hours out, which is kind of normal. But nine hours to get back, getting bumped around the whole time. And one thing that I I noticed, but it didn't really occur to me, I think, until after I, I got back home was that. That bumping around was really, really exhausting. And what's more, since I was, since I knew it was going to take a long time, I was a little bit of a hurry. All my landings were awful. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I had those four landings, right? And I think they were all. Awful. You don't have to admit that, and by the way. <laughs> I, I, it's, well, nobody was there, so you know, whatever. I, I can confess, but, but, but I, the reason they were awful was was pretty straightforward. I think after I thought about it for a minute, is because. You know, I was in a little bit of a hurry, not any enforced hurry. It was just because I didn't want to get, I wanted to get back home, right? So, is there a little bit of that get home itis? But the weather was clear, so there wasn't wasn't too bad. But um, I was rushing my pattern a little bit. You know, I'd come in and, you know, I want to get on the ground, I want to get fuel, want to get going. So I was rushing the pattern. I wasn't really doing a good job of, you know, flying how I teach. To be honest, you know, I wasn't doing a good job of you know, getting those speeds set, you know, downwind base final. I was just coming in and trying to get to the runway fast and, 
and, uh, and, and pull off a good landing anyway. Well, that's one thing to do when you're rested and you haven't been getting bumped around for nine hours, but it's another thing when you're a little bit tired and, uh, you know, worn out, exhausted, maybe potentially even a little bit nauseous after all the bumping. And, uh, yeah, so, so my landings were not, not fantastic. Uh, but, but that, so the, I remember the last one I did, you know, come back home. I thought, okay, this one I'm going to do right because the other ones have all stunk and it was better, but it still wasn't real great. But take the time, especially when you're tired like that, especially when you're tired, because then you need to put more thought into it and, and make sure you're not missing things that are normally part of your routine just as a result of a, well, in my case, a long flight. So did, do you think because of that bumping around, too, that as you got further and further, uh, possibly fatigue was starting to set in and maybe uh, just influence your decision-making process in any way? Well, I was, I was definitely fatigued, I'll say that. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it, well, it didn't affect my, you know, my more strategic decisions of where to stop and that kind of thing, but it definitely affected my, uh, you know, I, I don't know, motor skills or, or something, I guess you'd say, or, or, you know, like I said, choosing to kind of hurry the pattern up when I probably knew I shouldn't have. I probably should have flown, you know, normal speeds and st- nice stabilized approach and all, but, uh but it affected those type of decisions, I think. And that's part of the process, too, is trying, if you're on your route and you're saying to yourself, well, maybe I should stop, not because of the weather, uh, but also, you know, the weather causes, the weather being the winds have caused me to delay. Maybe I should stop and get a hotel room or take a nap, sit in the crew room, maybe at an airport, that type of thing. And that's a tough decision to make also. I mean, that that is, I've really rarely had to say do that, but... It's quite disappointing, uh, especially if there's people relying on you to get somewhere, saying, hey, listen, I, I need to stop. So, um, you know, that, that's one of the things that's hard to also recognize is, am I fatigued? Uh, and, you know, there are some, you know, things that you can look at, you know, as far as, uh, you know, things you can do, too, within yourself as far as fatigue and the, and the warning signs. And I'm not really going to get into much of it there, but just the fact that you should be aware of that is, is really, really important. But with you, Russ, that that must have really been a, a tough, tough flight. Uh, one of the things you mentioned, though, that I think is interesting, and I, I think maybe you could explain a little bit. You talked about this gradient, and you were talking about what, it was about 30 or 20-some-odd knots, and then it went up to 50. And But in that area in between, because of that gradient, um, you know, it was bumpy, and then it was smooth above. And uh, that also, I'm assuming, is something that you looked at when you were doing your planning process. Well, absolutely, and of course, you have the uh, the turbulence air mets are a good uh, indicator of this. And yes, the entire you know eastern U.S. was covered with one gigantic uh, turbulence air met from the surface to twelve thousand feet or something like that. But but one one thing you look at is if you have a wind speed of twenty five knots and then two thousand feet higher, the wind speed is fifty knots. Even if it's in the same direction, you think that's that's a lot faster air moving over relatively slower air. So there's going to be a lot of, of turbulence in there, whereas the air you know, kind of eddies and, and such. And uh, just that type of a gradient is is unusual. And I mean, I remember one time I was at 2,500 feet and then probably had a 20-knot headwind. And I decided, let me go see what is at 3,000 feet. You know, so I went up 500 feet. And the headwind was five more knots. You know, in just 500 feet. It was, this is crazy. <laughs> but uh, out here in Oklahoma and a lot of the, the, the central U.S., we have days where, you know, the wind's 30 knots. But it's 30 knots at, at you know, a lot of altitudes. And it can actually be very smooth um, up above a couple thousand feet above the ground with 30 knots of wind. It's just because there is no gradient. It's just all 30 knots. So it's smooth. Uh, we get that quite often. But in this situation where the, the wind was changing about five knots every 500 feet, that's, that will usually result in some pretty good turbulence. And, and it, was, it was not dangerous turbulence, but it was very tiring and annoying, I think, would be a good way to word it. So, you know, the gradients, et cetera, it's something we should look at. Obviously, the air mets you were looking at. Uh, you had, you know, ADSB also. You had all this next rad weather. 
Uh, everything within the cockpit, which is terrific, is having you know all those tools. Uh, sometimes the the tools are best that you hear uh, that are given to you from other pilots and pirates. Is what I'm talking about, uh, and there that's very very important because sometimes weather does fool you, and you look at some of these gradients and say, oh my gosh, that's going to be bumpy, and then sometimes it's not. So it's like, gosh, you know, it's good to get get those pirates, but in general, I think what what you're talking about is yeah, you need to look at those, and I think people that are listening right. Right now, uh, maybe they haven't brought that into their considerations as far as doing a cross-country flight and something you really do need to look at. Uh, but your your flight, looking at the the altitudes and and all, was was part of that whole decision-making process. But that's just one little piece of it. It's the equipment you're flying, uh, and one of the really important things to note is if we look at you know Mike Harris, you know he was here. Uh, he was in a tri-pacer. Obviously, he couldn't go IFR. And his decision-making process was a little bit different as far as, you know, where he was going to go, where he, when he was going to stop, that type of thing. So when you're flying VFR and you don't have the ability to go IFR, then you have a different set of circumstances. And you don't want to really push yourself. I know there's people that took off and, you know, you can fly over the weather, et cetera. And it's like, nah, that's probably not the best thing in the world to do, especially, you know, on some of those longer trips. So be conservative, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I think that's, that's really important. And I'm sure, Russ, you, you relate that to your students also. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Cons- conservative is the key. So, uh, you know, Tom, I know we, we didn't talk a, a lot about that as far as the, the weather flying in and out. I know you had to go through some weather. And you, you bring up a good point uh, as far as if you can't get there by plane, there's, there's other options, right, Tom? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, that's... One of the things we start learning is being a pilot in, in general aviation and single engine stuff. You know, I mean, if, if you really need to get there that bad, I tell people maybe you should rent a car. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because, I mean, we, we really need to think about what we're doing. And because the weather is such a factor, um, you know, and that there's other things that could happen. You mentioned, you know, you may get to your destination and, and there's been an incident there and the runway's closed. Now you have to go somewhere else, you know, and if it's that important that you're at a place you know, we really need to consider that and, and think about what you're doing. And, and that's also part of my decision process. You know, how important is this really, you know, and, and staying away from that, that, uh, you call to get home. I just, I call it get there. I just, either way, you know, it's a, it's a pilot killer and you, we want to just avoid it at all costs. And you know, I, I mentioned too, that, uh, you might want to take the airlines, but the weather that affects us affects the airlines too. And on that specific day where, um, you know, he was flying or Russ was flying into Sun and Fun, we saw a lot of diversions at the airline level. People weren't making it in. So, uh, you know, the, these weather patterns affect everybody. So, yeah, maybe driving, maybe driving is uh, even a, a bad option, too, just sitting there and waiting it out. So just remember, you know, even though you think you can take the airlines, it, it may not happen. As a matter of fact, uh, I know on that day that Russ came in, we had, I think it was five or six diversions at work. Just just phenomenal, that, that strong line of uh, storms that came through there. But, uh, but hey, this, this has been actually an awesome discussion on the weather and on, on decision-making processes as far as what we need to do. And there's lots of different tools out there. I know FAAsafety.gov has some real good courses. AOPA has some good stuff out there. But I'd love to, you know, hear from the you folks, you know, tell us what you think as far as your decision-making processes and, and maybe, to, you know, write in with some stories and say, hey, listen, this is something that happened to me. And, and in our discussion here, there's many more things, obviously, that go into that process. But with all that said, remember, we're pilots, and that's what we do is we make decisions all the time. And it's just basically flying is just a, a, a series of those decisions. So, uh, so Russ, uh, just in general, in summary um i would say was this would you call this a successful trip (laughs) well sure (laughs) (laughs) of course it was a successful trip but 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 it yeah just you know this if you're gonna fly you know halfway across the u.s or all the way across the u.s or, or whatever you're gonna have some types of weather concerns whether it's you know, clouds or storms or wind, turbulence, whatever. You're going to have these considerations as you you know, fly longer distances. It's just the nature of, of weather and the nature of flying. You know, all, what you have to do, though, is just have a plan with how you're going to deal with it. And, 
and hopefully, you know, as you build up experience with uh, different types of weather, then and you'll be able to develop a good plan. Is there any advice that you give to your students in general as far as uh, weather making decisions, or is that basically the summary? I think I just summarized <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, consider all your options, and uh, you always have an out. I think is probably a good uh, a good. Uh, Takeaway, and you have a lot of experience flying in weather and and using an aircraft uh, that has a lot of utility at 182, and you really are someone. You know, I admire you for a lot of the weather you go through. I mean, it, it it's funny because I've I've watched you go through some of these fronts and said, oh man, I don't know if I'd even do that in a jet that I fly, but uh, but you know, navigating through there is a lot of it has to do with experience as far as looking at the weather uh, and having your your out is really important. Tom, I was wondering. Well, I don't know, Carl. You made me sound like some kind of a uh, hurricane hunter there uh, no. a moment ago. No, no, it's nothing like that. You know, you, 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 you pay atten- careful attention and you make a, a reasonable plan uh, based on what you yeah, know. Yeah, and, and understood. And, and that's an important point for sure, Russ. Uh, Tom, I know uh, you might have some just quick advice for people that are, are looking at whether or not to go. And, and just in some general advice that you would give to your students or people listening right now. Um, yeah, I mean, we covered most of it, and and you know, Russ's and uh, was was what Russ just stated was was good as well. I mean, you, you just thinking your way through this thing and trying to make a good decision, and not make not make it so important that you're willing to look past some things. You know, um, you know, I I teach my students, you know, uh, about their personal minimums, you know, and I put it into a statement. You know, I will not go flying if the clouds are lower than blank, if the visibility is less than blank. If the wind is greater than blank, if the freezing level is lower than blank, you know, and that that holds true both in the VFR world and the IFR world. And and to to really seriously look at those things, you know, um, on top of the I'm safe and the PAVE checklist and, you know, everything else that we learn about staying safe in the sky. But, you know, really looking at it and making a good decision and and are you fit to do this thing and can you get from point A to point B safely and um, with you and your passengers. and, And that's what it's all about. And that's something you do every day as a pilot. And I think that's really important, uh, what Russ and Tom brought up. You know, at work, we have all these people that are helping us out with weather decisions, et cetera. We have dispatchers and stuff like that at the airline. But uh, really what's important is is that uh, immediate and that dynamic decision that you're making as far as the weather is concerned. And always, always have an out. I love the fact that, that the two of you did say that. And that's really, really important. Well, gosh, this has been a, a great discussion on the weather. And and whether or not you should go, because there are times when you shouldn't go based on the equipment you're flying uh, and the weather, uh, and also the fact that you may be fatigued or the fact that you know there's there's possible pricing situations. Maybe you'll wait for that you know headwind to die down, maybe a day later to go, because now you're going to cut off a couple of uh, hours from your flight, and of course you can always. Uh, like in in Russ's case, hang out at, at Casa Valeri for, and, and which he'll probably do next year, won't you, Russ? Well, if I've got the invitation yet, I think I'll be there again. <laughs> always, always. And by the way, you know, we uh, just before we close out and do our picks of the week, a couple things uh, as far as the actual flying, and we talked a lot about the weather. One of the things that. Uh, the organization did as a whole at Sun and Fun is made some decisions about the weather. One of the things was in the beginning, remember, they had an air show. They had to cancel the air show. And, of course, we had to come up with a lot of content uh, to talk for a few hours over that air show. But at the end, they made a very, you know, conservative decision and said, hey, listen, you know, we're going to cancel the air show at the end uh, so everybody can kind of go home. One of the interesting things of that, just as an aside, is some of those air show performers were still here. And what was cool is that I actually got to hang out and watch some of that uh, the after show air show and people doing aerobatics and stuff like that for days afterwards. It was it was a lot of fun, you know, watching that happen. Uh, but that was really really cool. Well, gosh, guys, you know, we talked a lot about the weather and uh, and I think this was t- this was terrific and a great discussion. And it shows, you know, from all these different perspectives how we do go through that. And it's really it becomes an art. 
as far as making those decisions to go or not to go. And, uh, you know, it's always important to keep reviewing how you go through that decision. And it's important to listen to what we talked about and also go through other scenarios. And that's why it's great to, I know we look at accident statistics, but uh, I like the fact that you know, we are talking here and there was no accident and we talked about scenarios, which is terrific. So uh, I'd love to hear your scenarios, too, from the listeners. And, of course, read, you know, you can write in at you know, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Our Picks of the Week. Now we uh, move into what our Picks of the Week are. So uh, our Picks of the Week, and I'm going to actually, look, you know, Rick, we, we didn't get to you as far as the weather, but uh, we do want to, you know, acknowledge you as far as, far as yeah. the Picks of the Week and and uh, and, and sure. uh, what we're going to do this week and next as far as, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that as far as uh, episodes coming up. But, Rick, what is your Pick of the Week? Yeah, um, yeah, and the weather, weather conversation was great. And if I said anything about me in that regard, it would be that um, I was such a conservative, you know, young pilot that that weather was never a reason where anything changed. There were other things, you know, here and there, but weather, you know, I was sort of it was always pretty much safe for me, which is good. Probably the right decision for me. Um, yeah, so mine is if, if I suppose on a rainy day, this is a nice thing to have. This is an app uh, for iOS and. Um, and uh, Google um, uh, Android. Um, it's called Absolute RC Simulator. I don't fly RC planes. I never have. I just went straight into the into the the full planes. Um, and and part of that challenge uh, for me always was how hard it is to be in a fixed position on the ground and control a plane moving in different directions around you versus point of view. You know, you're inside the plane. It's it's pretty easy to figure out what you're supposed to do directionally. Um, so anyway, this is a great simulator. It's called Absolute RC Simulator. It's a simple thing. It's free. I think you can you know upgrade with planes and other things. You can you can put money into it, but you don't have to. And um, uh, I crashed multiple times when I first played this thing, but um, eventually got to a point where I could feather it just you know fine and get down okay you can add smoke and you can you know it's it's and what's neat is you're flying around in what it looks to be and i'm playing it on a on a 10 you know an iphone 10 which which i think has some of that uh you know motion control stuff i don't know but so it may be different on other devices but it's a 360 simulation of, of this field you're in or wherever there's several different places you can fly these things and it's pretty real it's pretty realistic so um it's a fun little thing and like i said it's free so absolute rc simulator Absolute RC simulator. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, that's, yep. that's uh, how most of us got into flying, right? We models and RCs. Yeah. So cool. Thank, thanks, Rick. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for the addition as far as the decision-making process as a student, especially uh, going through yeah. the weather, that type of thing. So uh, Sometimes I, I look back and think I was too cautious, nah. but I guess there is no such no, thing. I don't, I don't so. think so. That's there for sure. <laughs> uh, remember, this is for fun. We're flying for fun. That's for sure. I know some use it for utility, but that's really, really important point that you made. Uh, let's see. As far as uh, Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, so I picked, um, you know, this was a little device I picked up at uh, Sun and Fun. You know, I'd, I'd read up on them. So, uh, Forflight came out with that little Scout, and it's a, it's an ADSB in receiver. So you get uh, ADSB weather and traffic. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been using this thing since I got home. You know, I've uh, been using it during lessons, plugged it into ForeFlight. Um, great little solution for for uh, for that uh, information. It uh, It's actually almost kind of scary because, you know, I'm now out in the practice area and I'm seeing where all the traffic is, um, a lot more of it than I used to see just out the window, you know. And it, it was it's funny. I, I, I got the feeling the other day that I was flying along just fat, dumb, and happy all the time. And, and now I've realized where all these planes are. And it's like I know they were there before. I just wasn't seeing them. You know, and uh, this this really it, it's kind of cool to have all that information right there at your fingertips and, uh, you know, being able to find just a, another little level of safety for for just a, a reasonable amount of money. You know, I mean, it, for, for the price range that this is in, um, it's it's a really neat little device. So uh, I picked the four foot scout for for my pick. And so the scout, does that have uh, it ha- doesn't have a GPS It relies on your iPad or something else? Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, it does. So, um, you know, if you if you have an iPad that has the GPS inside of it, then then uh, that you know that's the bonus there. Um, but yeah, it, it would need some other GPS source. Cool. If you if you don't have the internal GPS. So my question is, can I borrow it? Um, sure. <laughs> I think that's yeah, cool. I'd, I'd lend it to you just because you know, as soon as you use it, you just say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to." Yeah, be that that looks really really cool. So yeah, I mean, 
for, for, for the price point that this thing is at, it's a, it's a, it's a cool little feature. Awesome. Well, maybe we should go up and check it out sometime. So we'll definitely do that. Uh, well, open invitation, <laughs> man. Let me know when you want to come over. Well, awesome. That, that actually looks really cool. I remember when you bought it, I said, wow, that's awesome. And uh, I'd love to see it in action. So cool. The, and that's flywithscout.com. Again, we have links uh, here in the show notes. If you're listening on your, your iPhone or any other device, you can actually click on those links and go to those websites while you're listening. Uh, my pick of the week actually uh, comes from a Kip Plains magazine, and it's the May 2018. And there's a gentleman that I fly with at work who uh, designed and built this thing. It's called the Jet Easy, and it actually was at Sun and Fun flying by. And we're, we're talking about it. He showed me some really cool videos. And at the bottom, we have a video of the week is actually Lance Hooley flying that Jet Easy. And it's really, really cool stuff. But on the cover is actually the article about how he built that Jet Easy. It's pretty interesting. It's some really cool uh, photographs, and uh, the airplane gets a lot of comments because you see these, you know, look like drop tanks and these huge blended winglets that you normally don't see on the long easy. And it's really fascinating to, to see the process or listen to the process of him going through the build and the design phases and the actual flying of that airplane. And uh, it's just cool. He's got, got his own little jet there. And from from what I can tell, he's the first person to put a, a jet engine into the uh, long easy. I know there's one other person out there has done that. Uh, but really cool article. I have a link to the actually Kit Planes. Kit Planes is a really cool magazine, especially uh, if you're into building aircraft. So, uh, so I have a link there to the May 2018 issue. And don't forget, watch that uh, YouTube video at the end. So, Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, I have, before I give my actual pick of the week, my first pick of the week is something I should have mentioned in the announcements and I failed to, so sorry, Scott. But uh, one of my uh, instrument students, Scott Ermis, just passed his check ride this past All week. Right. So, uh, fantastic job, Scott. Uh, he's an instrument-rated pilot now, and he's going busting clouds all over the place, I'm sure. <laughs> so, great job, Scott. I wanted to mention that. Uh, but actually, along that line, so, uh, you know, of course, the next rating after the instrument for most people is the commercial. And the FAA just came out with a change to the commercial uh, ACS. The, uh, oh, Tom, help me out. Uh, Airman Certification Standards. Is that right? Yep. There you go. Yeah. Oh, man. Got it. All right. So. <laughs> And but so that's very exciting news, I'm sure, to everybody. They're going to rush out and read that. But one of the uh, one of the things that I caught in here, and this is just, I mean, it's like five days old, so I haven't had a chance to really go through it thoroughly. But it sure seems like it removed the requirement to use a complex airplane on the single engine check ride. Okay, now got to word that carefully because it. Didn't, there's no change, as far as we can tell, to having to have the training in a complex airplane, meaning retractable landing gear. Um, but for the check ride, it it very clearly seems to have removed that requirement to bring one to the check ride, and that's a very interesting change. Um, it's something that may help a lot of people if they've had you know some complex training time in their past, but you know don't have access to one currently for. For the check ride, that that might help. So, I don't remember seeing anything about this um, from you know in in the aviation news. So I'm, I was kind of surprised to see this today. Interesting. Yeah, we'll definitely have to look into that. You know, how yeah. many times have you seen people you know discontinue a check ride because they couldn't use the complex aircraft, and it's like okay, we'll, or we'll finish the rest of it up tomorrow or whenever you can find a complex aircraft. So that's pretty cool. We'll have to we'll have to read into. Yeah, that. happened happened on my CFI check ride. The um, the complex airplane broke the day of my check ride, so <laughs> I had to come back and do it later. But uh, yeah, so maybe some relief here. But like I said, it, it doesn't change the uh, the Part sixty one requirement to have the training in the complex airplane. Interesting. Good, good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. And also, uh, congratulations to your student, by the way. Now he's out there actually flying IFR. Hopefully he's learned something from this discussion as far as making decisions. <laughs> well, I hope he's learned something over our time of training, that, too. I'm, I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. And uh, and by the way, guys, you're more than welcome to come back to, to our house to, to stay during Sun and Fun. You know, I, I like Sun and Fun so much, I bought a house nearby, but uh, actually it's not that reason. But it was, it was really cool having you guys. And and by the way, Rick, thanks for, for mentioning uh, the fact that everybody worked so hard and they did a great job. Uh, we, we can't forget, you know, Victoria 
uh, her, she did a wonderful job getting out there, getting interviews and talking to people, especially with our social media. And let's not forget Robert Sigliano, who he was actually helping us produce this and doing the editing. He, uh, he's an mm-hmm. editing machine, uh, not just for us, but also <laughs> for, for Son of Fun. And then Rick, man, I mean, uh, I, I, like I said, I'm not sure I know how you do it, but you get it done pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, are you really done with that? I was like, oh my gosh, I can So I had to run home to finish it. I was thinking, gosh, it's going to be hours. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. Uh, well, was... thanks. Yeah, it's it's fun. We have we have a good system. Yeah, yeah it. sure do. Yeah. And uh, and of course, we were there in the orange shirts, and uh, the, actually it was the safety orange, so people could tell who we were. And uh, we're definitely going to come out with those again next year, but not safety orange. I think it's going to be a little more subdued orange. Uh, but uh, we will be having those uh, stuck my gavcast shirts available uh, later on for sale. And, and don't forget, if you have any questions and, and you want to write in about your experiences with weather, et cetera, go to stuckmikeavcast at uh, gmail.com or just you know go to our website and hit contact. And uh, going back to what I said about the scholarships, check those out. And we also, like I said, we mentioned the membership. That's coming up. That's coming back again. That's going to include all those courses we've had in the past and some that we are going to do with some of our co-hosts in the future. Because what's really important is that we relay information to you and help you move forward with your flying and your life in, in general. It's really cool to have this aviation background. It really it, it makes you a much more robust person. It's wonderful to have discussions about flying because we learn so much here in our aviation world that we can take into the rest of our lives and our world there. So uh, hopefully this has been a good episode and you've learned something. Uh, you know, this is the podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly, and we really like to promote that. And we've been trying to promote that as much as possible. If you have an air show near you that you want us to go out and actually report on, etc., let us know. We would love to get out there with a recorder. And and I think, you know, we've got some really positive feedback on these shows. I'd like to hear more about what you thought about The Daily Show at Sun and Fun. Was it too much, too little? Was it perfect? I mean, was it good for you to, to listen to all those different interviews? I actually learned a lot. It's one of my favorite shows uh, because of the fact that, it, meaning the podcast is one of my favorite at Sun and Fun because I'm actually not in it. It's everybody else doing the interviews, and I learned so much uh, from actually listening to those episodes. Well, folks, we really appreciate your listening, and we'll talk to you next episode. Safe one. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.